hello everyone and welcome to nice to meet you i'm your host simone and this is a podcast about conversations with friends and strangers where we talk about life and lessons learned along the way today we have an old friend um shane uh, so shane how did we meet Hi, uh, I'm Shane, and I met Simone in high school as a soccer manager for her awesome women's soccer team. True. I was, like, kind of wondering. I was like, I don't even know how we met, honestly. Like, <laughs> it was kind of just bumping a new door long enough. You know, we somebody <laughs> five days a week. You know, yeah. You figure out who's going to stick around. I was, like, interested. Not. I'm like, oh, well, how did we? <laughs> like, it's been, like, ten years since, you know? Yeah, it has. So. Yeah, so uh, I guess I'm white male, and... I grew up in PG County, which was an awesome place to grow up in as a white male. Um, I think I got some interesting perspectives there that have been very instructive in how I've lived my life going forward. Uh, PG County is great because they'll shit on you for everything up front, <laughs> and that just builds your, your, your skin. You, know, you, have, you have thick skin when you come out of that place. <laughs> uh, I work in stormwater management now. I'm an environmental guy, kind of. Um, I work in GIS and... Uh, Stormwater management. Uh, it's good for me because I think my one of my big things is having a goal in life or having a purpose. And finding a purpose is pretty difficult. But I think it the is. environment is something I really can't disagree with. Yeah. You know. Um, Some people do though. <laughs> surprisingly, yeah. Um, yeah, it's funny because I started as an engineer, and uh, it was pretty dry, of course, as expected. But now I actually work with engineers from the environmental side, and they don't like the environmental people because we tell them no. Oh, there's a wetland here. I'm sorry. You need to apply for some more permits or yeah. whatever. And it's, it's kind of funny to have that that push and pull of, you know, I, I, I have the moral high grounds at some point because I'm like, oh, I'm protecting the environment. But, like, I still work for a capitalist corporation. Which is impossible to, like, yeah, get I mean, out of, honestly. <laughs> yeah. If I want to do good work, I have to cede some of that authority or moral authority. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And pretending I have it is just, you know an idealism of a young 20-something. <laughs> Your job really gives you a sense of purpose here, I see. I mean, it does. Uh, I could be, you know, I, I worked at a pizza shop right before this job, and that was a really nice wake-up call because I was like, you know, I do have to work, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> and if I'm going to work, I want to make sure I'm doing something that's uh, productive. And I think right now is a really just a crazy time to be maturing into an adult because, I don't know, feels like there's a, it's a liquid time. What do you mean? It's Lots of things are changing. Things yeah. that were seen as monolithic institutions are coming down. I mean, we could talk about politics all day long, but I think... <laughs> Please don't. Like, yeah, right. I, mean, <laughs> I think we hear enough about that on yeah, the news. <laughs> yeah, it's just A lot of the things that I always saw as bedrock to society, I definitely don't see as anymore, and they seem more temporary than I, than I once thought. Um, yeah. People, too. I mean, I used to think, like... Adults, you know, they come out, they have an, a purpose and identity, and they go and they, they chase a goal and they achieve that goal. And now it's like, well, that those people that I know that have achieved major monolithic goals for themselves generally left a lot of things by the wayside. Mm-hmm. Where I did think, you get, like, that idea that, like, adults, like, where did that come from for you? Um, probably my parents, because they both worked in federal government for a long, long time, and uh, they I had great parents, great parenting, but they were not there a lot of the time when yeah. I was uh, growing up. I had um, something called au pairs, so I had a lot of, you know, nannies. Yeah. They were taking a lot of care of me, and so my parents, I would see them before 6 a.m. and after 6 p.m., you know, and the time in between was me just 
doing my own thing, but they always seemed like they had something going on, like they were a monolith of yeah. themselves, you know. And now that I'm an adult, I'm like, well, they worked really hard, and I'm really grateful for that, but yeah. I don't know if I could put 35 years into the same organization. The social contract has been uh, breached, I think. Uh, we, we've seen parents go through, uh, our parents have gone through the biggest divorce rate in American history. Mm-hmm. Uh, on top of that, the financial meltdowns that were happening like right in our teens. Um, I think that's like really going to be instrumental in, in how the millennials change going forward. I mean, we have the Trump presidency, 2008 financial meltdown, and a, a ton of divorced parents. And if you didn't have divorced parents, you had friends who did. Yeah. So all those things have kind of given us a little more like um, perspective. I don't know if you've seen this new data that came out recently. Um, that uh, millennial divorce rates are actually lower, significantly Is lower. it because we're not getting married? Yeah, okay. until we're I mean, ready. That's until ready. I mean, <laughs> you know, if you, a lot of people are getting married in their early 20s, yeah. and now we're realizing, like, whole... Could you imagine, like, like some people are, like, three, like, we're 24, so some people are, like, three years into their marriage right now. Yeah, like. yeah. But then there's most of my friends are not even considering it, they're, yeah. like, weighing their options till their early 30s. I feel like there's two camps, because I feel like I know people... It seems like there are groups of people who, like, some of them, like, are, I don't know about marriage, like, whatever, like, but then there's, like, another group where it's just, like, I want to get married as soon as possible, and, like, yeah. it depends on your upbringing, I guess. Like, it seems like those there are, like, pockets of people who, like, still, like, get married really young, and then, like, yeah the rest of the people who, like, are, like, stepping back. Why do you think people want to get married very quickly when they're young? I think most of the people, and I'm not trying to, like, stereotype, but, like, most of the people are homeschooled. When I see them getting married, like, super young, and I guess mm. it's, like, their community is smaller in a way. So it's, like, maybe, like, this is someone that you've grown up with and, like, yeah. have an affinity to. And, like, it's, like, well, we might as well just get married. It's interesting you, you say homeschooled. I kind of thought you would go with, like, maybe more religious or conservative. Well, it seems that homeschool people tend to be religious also. Yeah. And then that might be, <laughs> that might be like, a particular aspect of our urban PG County area. Because, yeah. Um, you know, when you go out to the you know to more rural areas, and there's not exactly tons of other people popping up around you all the yeah, time. Yeah, that's true. You're like, oh, these are the options. Yeah. Okay. And like, we live in a metropolitan city, so yeah. it's like, I mean, like, there are options everywhere. Right. So <laughs> it, it, I guess it's you gotta keep that perspective in mind. But at the same time, I also see, I think, I think a lot of people get married out of fear because uh, they don't alone? Want, of being alone. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, when you get out and you're like, well, I don't really know what I want to do, but maybe, maybe yeah. a partner does. And actually, here's an interesting perspective on that, is I live in a six-person house now. And before that, I was living at my parents, you know. Uh, and when I was at my parents without real autonomy or anything to really care for, I was really depressed. I mean, I hadn't had a girlfriend in two years. Uh, I hadn't really, you know, I, I had things I was doing, but I didn't feel like I was contributing to anything. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I moved into the six-person house for... If, I guess efficiency, cost efficiency, uh, new city, new new place to be, and I live in Baltimore now, actually. Um, but li- living in a six-person house, I, I ended up feeling more, like, just good about myself because I could do little things to help a community. Mm-hmm. And that might be a little weird to some, but I felt like it gave me the ability to contribute in a way that I that felt workable. So it seems to me that you have, like, a really good 
way of putting things into like a bigger perspective where you're like looking at like, oh, it's like some people would just look at that like, oh, I'm just living in a six person house. You're like, no, I'm a part of a community. Like it's like you have a really good way of finding meaning uh, in the things yeah, like thanks. in your life with your job and your living situation. Well, I, I think I took time out in my college years to, I mean, I was an idiot for sure. Um, but I've taken my time to say like, well, why do I want things? And I don't think we spend a lot of time doing that because yeah. it's, there's not a time or place where you're allowed to do that. You know, um, I think it started when I, I started using meditation. Uh, you might have been aware of that, and then it was a sophomore in college. I yeah. got pretty deep into meditation, and uh, I don't want to make it seem like a real hippie thing. Like it's not something <laughs> like, yeah, I was like meditating super hard, bro. Like yeah. it really went down. No, like I think just taking the time away to be quiet with your own thoughts and perceive your thoughts instead of just jumping from one to the next, to the next. Uh, Which is hard to do, especially in college. Like just yeah. to sit still, like. You could literally be doing anything at any hour. Like, mm-hmm. somebody's awake, you know? Yeah, there's always something to do. A city that never sleeps. And, they, you know, one of the things, that when I look at my college friends versus now I've, I have many friends who didn't go through a typical college experience and kind of comparing those two, you realize how competitive that college life makes people. I mean, forever. Like, uh, just coming out of the D.C. area where mm-hmm. everything is go, go. Sorry, guys, there was a technical difficulty here, but the podcast resumes now. Is there anywhere that you do want to go? That's tough. In general, yes, obviously. Uh, But right now, it's I like being a part of America and American politics Mm -hmm. and just being present here because it's I think it's a transformative moment in American history. And uh, I like to be a part of the conversation, however small that part is. And uh, I think that being able to share and talk about these things, even if it is tiring and cumbersome, is important. Because we have a responsibility as, you know, if we really take democracy at its face, and yes, I know, voting doesn't always matter and all this other stuff, but like, it's got to, we got to do something. Yeah. We got to work on building our communities here. And I think being escapist by just running out and, you know, spending your, your time at, at other countries where you're just visiting things is, is great. But sometimes it, you need it. <laughs> it doesn't build anything for me right now. Mm-hmm. And I, I would love to have the freedom to do that later in my life. But right now I want to build. I'm so really how much that. do you keep up with politics? Like, are you? I'm pretty into it. Okay, Like watching news all the time, like reading the articles and everything. Yeah. Like listening to, I'll listen to live Senate hearings and stuff from wow. my desk. And I don't know. <laughs> I mean, something I mentioned before we uh, started recording was how much, if you work in an office job, and most people can agree that you probably have 20 hours of free time for every 40 you work. Um, not every job is like that, but like sometimes things are like that. And yeah. right now I have a lot of opportunity to kind of pay attention to politics while I'm doing my work. Yeah, I'm, it's hard for me to pay attention, honestly. What makes it hard? Um, it's just so much going on. So it's just like kind of seems like it's out of my like realm of like control. So it's like... Yeah. why focus on it yeah like i get you know like voting and everything that's an active way to participate but like just like passively participating i'm like just i don't know I, honestly it's like stressful like it's yeah. like why do i need this extra stress that's one way uh so we're gonna get into something a little bit uh so i'm a white male who was raised with at least a decent number of outside influences uh shout out black women for <laughs> healing me whatever but um I, I kind of take it as my personal responsibility to talk to other white males about this and have hard talks about these conversations because um, a lot of guys aren't challenged 
in the, in their debates. And um, so I challenge my family. I challenge my neighbors and coworkers, just p- p- friends and family, and not like in a like an attacking way, but inviting that conversation, be able to have it respectfully, and knowing your facts. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't have that conversation unless you start with the baseline. And my baseline is understanding what's going on in news and politics today. Yeah. So, yeah, it is a, a, probably an unnecessary stress to my life, but only if you consider your life as only going towards one goal. And my goal is to be as well-rounded and uh, giving to my community as possible. Mm-hmm. What ways are you, like... I guess this is one way that you're trying to be well-rounded. Are there any other ways that you're, like, looking into that or exploring um, that? Well, I mean... Uh, like art is a, an interesting one because I, I guess I consider myself an artist, but not in a way that's like, that's my thing. You know, I'm artistically inclined, but that doesn't. It's not going to be my career. Yeah. I'm not going to sell my stuff, but it's important for me to spend time out of my Ex- exercising box. that creative yeah. muscle. Yeah, and I think it's important for everybody to do that because art is like a a great repository for energy. You're not driving yourself crazy trying to build something perfect. It's just what it is. Yeah. And you enjoy it for what it is. And it's it's perfect as it is imperfect. So I think art's a really I don't know, important side hustle. What kind of art are you working on? Um, I, I try to do all sorts of different stuff. So I, I used to play saxophone, as you know. I played for on and off for like 12 years and uh, just picked that up again. I uh, have some new friends that we're going to play at Advanced Spot. Um, I've always been painting. You know, I paint my, my case once in a while and just do little things. Um, you know, write some poetry, write some lyrics. Nothing that I really care about strongly that I'm like, this is the best thing I've ever made. But it's it's enough to be interesting and uh, keep myself keeping, you know, thinking creative. I think having your head in a creative space just helps your whole life. Yeah. They say it's muscle. <laughs> it is. So you find creative work solutions because you're in a creative you know, headspace. You don't get stuck in the day-to-day. And I can feel that. That's something that's so weird that I didn't expect to feel so immediately was how quickly you just like, if I just right, this if I let routine. myself go, yeah. yeah. I'm just going to roll through life. Yeah. Chop, 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 chop. Because like what we were talking about earlier in the car where it's just like every year starts to look the same. But like I guess we're at the point where it's like every week starts to look the same. And it's like I guess then that turns into every month starts to look the same. And then right. that turns into every year starts to look the same. But no, yeah, it's definitely important. Like I'm a big proponent of Eventbrite. I okay. love just like going on there and like looking at events and just like, okay, well, like what can I get into tonight? You know, like yeah. something that's different. Absolutely. No, I've been having fun. Like I, I, it's great living in the city now because I've been able to go to just random shows, and so I have this whole new like scene I've gotten into of uh, prog rock and like stuff like that. And I'm not super into it, but I go to all these local shows because these local guys are just doing it. Yeah, and it's great. I'm also starting to do. Uh, I'm going to do an open mic for comedy. Okay. I'm not particularly. But good you're at like it. going to perform. Yeah. Oh. Okay. I went there and I was like, hey, this isn't <laughs> so bad. These guys kind of suck too. <laughs> We're just doing this to like vent a little bit. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the weird thing about living in a, a city that's not like, like living in DC, if you're in DC and you're doing something, you're like, oh, we can make it, you know, we can make it. But if you're in Baltimore, you're just doing it. You're like, oh, okay, I'm just here in Baltimore and just spending some time doing some comedy. Be, you know, I don't really. I mean, some really people make it out, you know, like. Yeah, it absolutely. And I'm not trying to like say that there's not great talent going on there, but there's not a pressure to make, to make anything better than it is. I'm actually more of a proponent for localized solutions now. Mm-hmm. That's one thing. I keep talking about community building and stuff like that. And I think that that's 
really like the base unit for what we need to do as a, as a generation is have small communities that are resilient yeah. and impactful and reliant on each other. It's so easy for us to get caught up in like individualism. Yeah. Yeah. And it's especially with social media, I feel like it plays both sides of it cuz like on one hand, I do have a huge community that is somewhat resilient because I can always see them and always kind of know what's going on in their lives. But on the other hand, it's so spread out that all those connections are extremely weak. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. There's not really a way for me to politely edit my my social life or anything like that because it's <laughs> like, well, I just know everybody. You know, now that now you're in my life forever. And, yeah. Uh, but I, that's why I like... You're talking about like... I guess when you connect with someone on social media, it's like now you're like in my life forever. Yeah. Well, like if you ever met somebody at a bar, change Snapchats, yeah. Facebook friends. Yeah. And now you have your like life shown to them forever. And you're like, <laughs> now I have to remember when I see your name that I met you at a bar drunk as shit. Like <laughs> that's my, that's my collection of our, of our, of our history. And Which is like what I'm worried about with this podcast a little bit. It's like most people's probably like, where did we meet? It's like at a bar. <laughs> Because, I mean, that's kind of how I got started, talking to people, like, just going to happy hour and just like, okay, well, like, what's going on with you? All right, here's a question. Is it better to meet somebody at a bar or on Tinder? I don't use Tinder, so I, like, wouldn't know, honestly. Oh, you don't use Tinder? No. Oh, goodness. Yeah, like, I mean, you know, I had, like, that, well, I mean, everybody, like, downloaded it when it first came out, but, like, me yeah. and so, you know, like, we used to just play it, like, <laughs> you know, like, let's see who can match, basically. Yeah. So... Well, I moved to a new city, and so I was like, let me use Tinder. Let me see how it's going. I haven't used it, you know, since the beginning of college, like you like you said. But, uh... But, I mean, like, I'm just, like, a proponent of meeting people in person. So, right. you know, like, everything that, like... Any people that I meet, I would, like, rather meet them in person than, like... Because, uh... It's weird, but I guess it's kind of, like... It's easier to see who somebody is. Well, it's not weird to say that. <laughs> it's easier to see who somebody is when you're in person, like because people can like be whoever they want to in a text message. Right. But, like to in order to like really get to know someone, I feel like you have to spend time in person. Yeah. So and, and that's why I've been like, going back to the local shows thing. I go to the local shows because you know you show face, and then eventually it just comes like a thing. And now, yeah. Now, now that's your actual community, and yeah. you can't. That community is not going to ghost you. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so what number do you want How about next? eight? Eight? What's your drink of choice? I know the answer to this one. <laughs> gin and tonic, right? Yeah, it is gin and tonic. <laughs> it's been a gin and tonic. Uh, How did that get started? My parents uh, have great taste in alcohol, and they made me classy mixed drinks. That's so um, I got to have a fine appreciation for uh, liquor. Okay. It's actually funny. Like, I usually drink beer and wine when I go out to bars, but yeah. last night I actually got a gin and tonic. We were at um, this place on U Street that has two-for-one gin and tonics. <laughs> or, like, yeah. not gin and tonics, just any real drink. Yeah. Um, from, I think it's midnight to one. Oh, goodness. That sounds dangerous. <laughs> that sounds like <laughs> <It's>, College Park. <laughs> gin and tonics are great because they're the cleanest. They're the, you're never going to get an upset stomach. Yeah. Uh, you might get a little depressed, good. but It's that's like about alcoholic it. seltzer water. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which, I mean, I guess is anything when you mix it with tonic. <laughs> and if you drink gin by itself, you're pretty, that's pretty sad. If you drink tonic water by itself, it's also not great. True. Together. Yeah, they do, like, oh, yeah. It feels like a metaphor for, like, <laughs> life somehow. <laughs> How about number three? Number three? Okay. Um, when did you know your sexuality? Oh, this is a great question. Thank um, you. <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to take that as a compliment. <laughs> when did I know my sexuality? Well, I have identified as a bisexual on and off throughout the years, mostly because it was actually just being bi-curious 
But um, I think that every, I think particularly men, because it's so hard for a lot of men to wrap their head around it, should try and be bisexual or bicurious at some point in their lives, hopefully in their early 20s, um, just because it, it gives you a perspective. And I think if you've never questioned why you like something, maybe you don't know if you do like it. Yeah. So, so why do you say in your early 20s as opposed to any other age? Well, I think uh, was, uh, the gay scene around D.C. and Baltimore can be a little aggressive, and I feel like it can be unkind unless you have your identity figured out already. Mm-hmm. So that's why it's kind of hard if you know if you just start going out to gay scenes when you're younger, you might have a little uh, different sense of what's going on than if you had a more laid-back, really, really I don't know, more experienced. Uh, so is, I guess you're feeling like it make you more comfortable in the scene if you were like younger yeah i don't know like the first my first gay experience was going to uh town when i was 18 <laughs> and that was a lot uh i was just overcome by like whoa this is awesome but also i have no idea what's going on and i definitely let people you know get away with some things that i shouldn't have and it's an aggressive scene mm-hmm. i mean for sure but um as I grew through it and became like kind of a more uh, confident, experienced sexual being, I realized like I like when guys like me, and I like <laughs> you know going out I think and all. Really but, but, but I get caught in these habits of like, well, oh, this is just a drunk thing. Because when it came down to it, I have no feelings for you. The moment I knew my sexuality is when I sucked a dick. Well, I was like, this is not pleasant. <laughs> <laughs> Nor am I game. And the thing is, I love. Other types of I love fellatio, but you know, sucking a dick didn't really uh, do anything for me. I felt nothing, so um, I was like, "Well, I'm I'm doing this for this person." Cause wait, they like so me. how do you um, identify as bisexual if you don't like? I don't anymore. I said oh. I have. At oh, times. okay. And so now I I know that I'm not. Okay. Um, it's been kind of funny because I guess my style has evolved into being a little risque. Some people may think I'm gay or bisexual from just looking at, you know, I, I like crop tops. I got a romper. <laughs> but yeah. Salmon looks good on me. Yeah. But, um, it's, it's, it's just, uh, I'm free with what I'm able to wear. I don't really mind, uh, whatever gender norm happened to, you happen to think I fit in. I think that is so fun. Yeah. Like just wearing clothes because they look good on you, you know? Yeah. And I think a lot of guys are scared to do it. Like, uh, you know, somebody saw me with a crop top, and they're like, "Why are you wearing that little ass crop top?" And I was like, because "Why not?" To, yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm sorry, is the stomach like really that crazy for a man to show off? Like, it's and- weird, like just the amount of options that women have. Like when we're getting dressed, it's like you want to wear like a dress, a shirt, I yeah. mean, skirt, you know, like a blouse, like you like just so many different options. And I feel like for men, it's always just like, okay, well, like jeans and a t-shirt, or like <laughs> something in a button-up. Like it's very limited. Yeah, which- black suits. I went to my first, like, kind of adult wedding as an established human being, and it was interesting because I was trying to figure out what to wear. Like, what do I wear to a wedding? I should just wear this black suit that kind of doesn't fit me and never got tailored to me. No. I went thrifting, bought a nice light blue suit jacket, put my outfit together. I had, you know, nice balance of different colors. It was a colorful outfit, but it was definitely, like, I was the only guy in the room doing that. Yeah. And I think that's... Something we should change as men. I think it's fun to have more colors, more ideas about what you, what's acceptable. Alt masculinity, actually, alt mass. <laughs> great Insta. Follow them. Oh wait, that's like an actual like movement, that, yeah, or like a. Uh, it's an Instagram. You said. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Coy and they have a little clothing company. And 
Wait, Koi? Koi did like a little model for it. Oh, yeah. That's the, those are what those photos are from. Okay. <laughs> I thought he was just like taking photos just to like style on us, but yeah, okay. Both. A little bit both. We all are. We're finding our, our identity. Yeah. Uh, I particularly like thrift shopping these days. It's, it's like a. It's, it's a always been a, like a fun habit. I don't yeah. know. No, you started. I have to thank you for that. <laughs> I do. Um, but my new version of like thrifting is like there's like this Forever 21 that I go to and they have like a basement and everything is like clearance (laughs) and it's like sometimes like buy one get one free or like half off like so it's like really cheap clothes and I feel like I can like wear them like you know like once or twice yeah but they call it fast fashion right yeah Yeah. which is like that's all I need it for honestly like I'm not trying to wear the same clothes all the time like which is I guess a different way of thinking than like previous generations. You're like, you're gonna have this piece, it's gonna be timeless, like you can wear it like for the rest of your life. And we're just kinda like, all right, I mean like this is like a tissue, like <laughs> Yeah. Well that's why I like thrifting, honestly, because I, I I like clothes for an extended amount of time. I I start getting invested in certain of my favorite outfits and when I get something from the thrift shop, it like it has a certain out of strength to it because it's already been through a whole n- another person. I'm yeah, like, yeah, this true. thing, this thing was held down. It's lasted. <laughs> it's lasted. It's got some, got some bones under it. But, Sometimes uh, you'll find things that are new there too, like that people just wanted to get rid of. Yeah, y'all blow your mind about millennial uh, thrift shopping. You ever heard of this app, Debop? No. D e b o p. It's a great app, and it's basically a buying and selling. Uh, people with their own thrifted clothes of different types that's interesting it's basically an online consignment job yeah and uh people build their profiles and that seems and, yeah. so complicated though imagine instagram if you were buying and selling everything on your instagram yeah it's pretty dope check it out Debop. <laughs> are they paying you nope <laughs> met, a, met a girl in tender who has a good one so <laughs> um so let's go on to the next question um do you want to pick a number or do you want me to read one off why don't you read one off okay um, what's something that you've always been obsessed with? <laughs> that's a that's an interesting one. I have to think about that one. I've always been obsessed with fixing things, but that yeah, that's, 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 that's great because I I talked to my mom about you know she was like what what's your life purpose what's your life goal she doesn't <laughs> really know it's hard to look at my at what I've been doing <laughs> and be like that kid has a purpose <laughs> but I do and it's really like I like fixing things even if it's small. <laughs> I was like thinking like wow she like really cares about like your purpose and everything and then you're like no she's just being shady like, <laughs> <laughs> well she does but you know yeah. she lives across the country now so what's she gonna do um, but yeah like uh, I, I guess I spend a little too much of my energy just fixing other people and you know, other things around me that don't necessarily impact my life but yeah. that's what I have found out is actually one of the most important things I do is when I've done something for nothing um, those are the people that always reach back to me is when they know that I'm that kind of person. Yeah. And not that that's like the reason I do it, but uh, with a little more experience and realizing that that's what we need to start invest doing. our time doing all the time. Yeah. It's, it's just being able to help without worrying about the cost. That's what they say about love. Like if, it, if you're looking for something back, then it's not like real. Yeah. Yeah. And I've definitely gotten that perspective down, uh, learning how to let people walk in and out of your life if they don't if they don't fit right then yeah timing is everything (laughs) um so how do you define success oh that's a great one that that segues in well um (laughs) because there's obviously as suburbanites around dc there's a very easy definition for success which is who and who do you know and why and that's a 
pretty shitty Which definition. Which has always been crazy to me. Yeah. Like. <laughs> yeah, it is crazy. But, uh, but there's also really no other, like, valid definition that you could defend to somebody is, like, what is successful. And I think yeah. what is successful is just, do you feel like you know why you're here? And are you doing something about it? True. I think I know why I'm here. Yeah. That's a tough um, definition because it's not, like, it's subjective. Yeah. So it's like, you know, yeah, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> I, see, I think, so it is subjective. And so you're always able to potentially lie to yourself about where you are in your life and, and come up with your own explanations for why things are the way they are. But that's where you have to just keep working on your, your critical self analysis and being able to compare yourself against previous versions of yourself, you know, like yeah. keeping track of like who you were six months ago one year ago three years ago what did you want then what do you want now why is it different why did it change I I heard this well I saw this one thing on Twitter that was like you have to love the person you were in the past just as much as you love the person that you want to be in the future just as much as you love the person that you are right now Hmm. yeah Uh, actually it's kind of funny that that's like the trinity the you know like your your self you see today and the self that you know you are and the self that you see in the future Mm -hmm. uh is that your rising sign, your sun yeah. sign, your moon sign? Pretty much encompasses that. Oh, what what is that? <laughs> oh, you're uh, so, so, so you're like I'm, going I'm into astrology. astrology. Yeah, I like okay. astrology. Um, you can call me crazy, but statistically, <laughs> if you read your prenatal chart, uh, most people agree with it. So yeah, I remember when you told me about that, and I read mine. I was like, this is creepy. <laughs> yeah, it's really creepy. And I, I've been a science and math guy my whole life. Um, so when I got into astrology, it was like not. Like, I dove into it because I had no idea what I was doing. I was like, oh, this sucks. Why is this true? And it just happened to be true more than 50% of the time. So I give a little credence to astrology for sure. Um, Your sun sign is, like, what you manifest yourself as. Uh, Your moon, your rising sign is how others see you. And your moon sign is how you see yourself. (laughs) So, kind of like your three different... Yeah, perspectives. Perspectives. Interesting. So they're kind of fun to analyze. And, uh, you know, if you want to know, I'm a Capricorn sun, Virgo rising, Aquarius moon. If you know your astrology, it's a hell of a combination. Why? What is special about that combination? Uh, Capricorns are generally like uh, some sort of leader aspect. We kind of have our, we overanalyze situations and keep our ducks in a row or generally like kind of capitalist. But Aquarius moons are very... Spacey, futurey thinking. Um, they're definitely willing to throw some weird stuff out there and think, well, let's see what happens down the road. So there's kind of this, uh, I feel I'm caught sometimes between being super efficient in the moment and then having some wild long-term plans. And I'm like, what is that? I get stuck in starting, uh, start and stop between those two sometimes. Where I'm like, oh, that future is so beautiful. I could see it around the corner, but I have to be like in the moment right now, overanalyzing, very critical. So. That sounds like a pretty hard internal struggle. It's back and forth, yeah. And, and I think you know me well enough to say that that's kind of true. But yeah, if you want to do your Wait, astrology so, um, chart... what is the... You have Aries astrology. also? What? You said you're like Aries also, like... No, uh, Virgo rising. Virgo rising. Okay, what is that, like... I'm not super... I'm not, I'm not that articulate okay. in this field. Okay. I happen to read, and it makes sense a decent amount of the time. Especially when you compare <laughs> things. I'm like, eh, all right. I, I think everybody should take their chance and read their prenatal chart. If you don't think that has anything to do with you, then drop astrology, sure, shit on it. But give it a try. My mom had a great saying growing up, uh, two bites of everything. Mm-hmm. I've taken two bites of everything. 
that first bite, a lot of people will will not like something. But that second bite, if you give it another make chance, sure. you don't like it. Yeah, 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 yeah give it a chance to make sure. <laughs> it's like, yeah, suck two dicks, like. <laughs> or three or four, whatever. <laughs> yeah. I figured it out on the fourth one. That was it. <laughs> okay, wait a minute. I don't like this. Like. <laughs> Um, so let's see. Um, would you mind if your partner didn't wear their wedding ring? I guess that would assume that my partner wanted a wedding ring. How yeah. about that? I mean, like... I mean, if, you know, we're coming a more awake a society and diamonds are pretty shitty. Um, <laughs> I would love to give... Yes, I would, I would love to have my partner wear their wedding band in public when I'm around. Um... But I'm also not, like, necessarily com- convinced a traditional marriage is the right thing for me to do. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think what kind like, of marriage would you want, then? I don't know. Uh, I guess I'm a... Well, I'm really young and idealistic in the time of Trump. So there's a little nihilism to me. Um, and especially, like, with my environmental background, there's a lot of things that I, I look at and I have numbers for, and I'm like, I don't, I don't know if... We're going to have a same stable society that we imagined as kids in 20 mm-hmm. years from now. I might be having to move inland and uproot my entire life yeah. and, and not be able to continue in a capitalist society. I mean, who knows? I mean, it, we should plan for the best, but prepare for the worst. Yeah. And uh, I, don't, I don't know if necessarily my marriage partner is the biggest factor of my life. I would love to have somebody that I'm committed to, and hopefully I'd love to be a dad one day, but, you know... I'm leaving my options open. Yeah. What's funny about, like, this time period right now is that all of my female friends are just like, I don't even know if I want kids. I really don't know. I'm not sure. But all the men are just like, yeah, I want to be a dad. Like, you know, it's, it's weird how, like, there's that. Well, I, I definitely something that I I think I kind of talked to it earlier when uh, not living in a six-person house versus living alone is uh, a, men need a sense of purpose. And the easiest sense of purpose that we get is defending something. Whatever that is, mm-hmm. uh, and most of that is going to be a woman or a child. We really love that feeling, being able to be responsible for something, say that, hey, that's mine, and I'm taking care of it, and I'm providing. That is the number one greatest feeling in the world, I swear. Um, and I don't, maybe it's different for women. Uh, there's just a different whole social complex that, are, that we arrive at. But for men, it's kind of like the end-all, be-all. Yeah. It's... Well, when you think about that, I feel like women are, like, more nur- nurturing. Like, that's where we're supposed to get, yeah. like... I guess our fulfillment from, but it doesn't make sense with what I'm saying now because, like, most of my friends don't want to be, like, mothers or at least haven't decided yet whether they want to be mothers. Right. Well, I think for a woman to have a, a very satisfied, nutrient relationship, a lot of things need to be met, a lot of things, and those things are very hard to come by. They need, you know, we need to be financially above ground, we need to be happy with our partner, we need to feel loved. You know, all these things, but for a man to provide for his family, it's very easy, relatively speaking. Mm-hmm. A couple boxes to check. Are they fed? Are they alive? <laughs> are they home? Yeah. If all those three are satisfied, or two out of three, or one out of three, whatever you're doing, like, men don't need a lot to get away with it, I think. And I think that's why it's a little bit different, because it's like, when we're, I feel like a lot, a lot of people are searching for purpose right now. That's probably the biggest problem of our generation is finding purpose. That's like the human problem, honestly. Yeah. But maybe it it's is. just coming to the forefront. Like, it's just a little of, more obvious that yeah. we don't fucking know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for men, I think filling that hole with protecting something is just such an easy answer. Yeah. It doesn't require that much thought and not much planning. And that just, it seems right. 
we know that works, you know. So, so your original question was, would I? <laughs> yeah. So going back to bands, us, yeah, wedding bands. Uh, if I gave a wedding band, I would hope that she wears it. Yeah. Because I mean, I wear my jewelry all the time. I like wearing jewelry. I, don't I get literally off, so. can't wear jewelry. Like. Oh bummer. Why not? Um. I like okay, so I'll like you know like wear something for a little bit, but I'll like take it off and then like it never gets back on. Mm-hmm. So it's like I can wear it like for like a night, yeah, or like a short period of time. But I've never had something that like I was like super attached to that I just like wore like all the time. Yeah, I don't know if this says anything about me, but I've had like the same bangles um, for like I took them off because I didn't want to be dangly. But if anybody knows me, I've had them for like six years. Yeah, and, uh, I just like wearing. I like having like, that would be lost like for yeah. me like. So I worry about that. Like, if I get, like, a wedding ring and I'm, like, if I wear it all the time, I feel like I'm going to lose it. Right. So, like, maybe I wouldn't wear it, you know? I think the, the fun part of that question is that what am I worried about if my spouse didn't wear it? Yeah. Am I worried about true. infidelity? I actually, I think that infidelity is something, like, okay, so the older I get, the more I'm, like, humans are, are really animals. Like, we, we like to pretend that we're so many yeah. levels above animals, but... We have animal basic needs. And if you had infidelity in your relationship, well, that's a breach of trust. But I don't think that sex outside of the relationship is necessarily a problem as long as you discuss it openly. And maybe that... That is the biggest issue, though. Like, when you realize that communication literally could solve so many problems, right. but we just don't. Yeah. And, and, and when we do have the conversation, a lot of times we get our own egos in the way without really listening and I think if it came down to, like, I was in a committed, loving relationship where we had a foundation of truth and honesty, we were like, hey, that person's hot, and uh, my body wants to fuck them. Well, okay, let's uh, let's figure some shit out. We can, I'll, I'll go crazy. <laughs> <laughs> you want to make it three-way? You want to separate it out? You yeah. know, I think I'm, like, I feel like we, we need to be more comfortable with having... Multiple a, partners? Not, not that you have to have multiple partners, but just open-minded about sexuality because a lot of times those forbidden doors are what are so enticing just the fact it's forbidden yeah like weed but also forbidden and now it's legal and people are like i don't really want to smoke weed like that well there's like two sides to that because they're the people who like it's like oh i just want to do it because like it's forbidden and like if you could just talk about it then like you know open communication that'd be great but there's people who like i feel like um that just like to cheat like it's like doesn't matter like how open you try to be with them they just like to like cheat the system like mm. they get the thrill out of like well, that's, knowing that their partner that's doesn't that's their own know. toxic personality coming out I mean yeah there's gonna be people like that but hopefully if I was in a committed relationship I'd know that well beforehand yeah um, that's true and I think that if you're respectful of somebody to be honest about what you want and if things were like if that was gonna break your relationship apart you should probably be upfront about that like that's <laughs> the worst thing that I've seen is seeing older couples that maybe didn't do all the exploration that they wanted to do on their own before they were kind of wrapped together. That is such a scary thing because it's it's like horrifying. How do you, okay, so we're young right now, you know, like we're still learning about ourselves, but how do you decide whether you should like commit to someone or just like be free and like date other people, you know, it's. And what is commitment? Like, so the, the commitment for marriage has always been life to death to his part. But how many people do you know got divorced right as soon as their last kid turned 18? I honestly, I I've heard <laughs> that story know. a lot. I've, I've heard that story a lot of, like, parents who were together right until their kid got out of high school, and then they got divorced. I feel like I know one story about that. 
I've seen, I've had a, but, a, yeah. I've had a couple. The fact is, it's not a rare. It's not necessarily a rare occurrence, and it's if you're gonna get married to somebody and spend that much time with them, maybe we need to start looking at that as a stage of your life instead of the end all be all. You know, I think when we put that pressure of till death to do us part, any deviation from that path sounds like a failure. And maybe yeah. we should be open to the fact that people can change their mind after 20 years. I feel like that's what's scary, though. I think that marriage is supposed to be, like, a security thing where it's like, okay, so, like, this person is supposed to be there for me for the rest of my life. But, like, if we change it to, like, oh, this person's supposed to be there for me until they don't want to be anymore, mm. then that kind of, like, takes away what marriage is. Mm. I can see that. On the other hand, I think that when you give people a safety net that they become comfortable and that's when marriages fall apart is when you're comfortable because you think you own that person for life. Yeah. And that happens both ways, men and women, thinking that they are, that's my man. You know, mm-hmm. that, but you don't own that person. That yeah. is actually a, a, a living, breathing, thinking human being, and you need to look out for their needs as much as they look out for yours. And I guess lit, like being aware that the bottom can fall out of your relationship will make you work harder to maintain it. And so keeping marriage as a contract instead of a f- signed, sealed, delivered, written in stone idea, I feel like that's healthier for relationships in the long run. And that's why okay. I millennial divorce rates are lower. Cause we but what about this? What if, because like maybe for some people it's like a motivating factor. It's like, okay, if I'm going to be with this person for the rest of my life, then I need to work harder. But it's like, if you see that like exit, you're like, I mean like, well, if this shit doesn't work out. Like, you know? Yeah. But I mean, it's just, I guess people don't want to waste their time either. <laughs> yeah. So you're, so you ever had somebody like been in a, a toxic relationship, but they, they won't leave it because they've committed so much time that to leave that relationship would just be like, I just well, wasted I this all for, this time. Yeah. I wasted all this time. And people hate that feeling of like wasting their time or feeling like they fucked up. Yeah. So I think like if you're going to start a relationship, there's gotta be a reason why you started it. Mm-hmm. And if you, if you allow their room to be honesty about when things aren't going well, then you allow the honesty to be there to fix it. If you don't do that, then that's when problems pile up. That's yeah. when little mounds become bigger and bigger. And they become molehills and then they become mountains. So are you looking for a relationship right now? Actually, yeah. Not to say that. <laughs> Put me out true, there. True, true. Uh, Shane Kelly, 24 year. <laughs> um, no, I haven't been in an actual relationship in several years now. It's been so long for me, too, like, yeah. honestly. Well, how long? It's been, like, two years. Almost, like, to the day, probably. Mine's been, like, four? Four or five? Yeah. And I don't want to be, uh, you know, the most, you know, the most eligible bachelor for the rest of my life. So I feel like I should... Uh, get some dating back in me just to, I don't know. It's, it's a weird thing. Cause like, I don't, I don't think I have the patience to casually date, but at the same time, I don't want to become too aloof and, uh, singular. So, you know, learning how to, that's a hard balance. It is a hard balance. Um, especially cause I'm, you know, I have some, I have a I kind of divergent friend groups. I have some friends who are significantly older than me and some friends who are my age and trying to figure out where I fit in between those two worlds it's kind of got my head wrapped up a little bit right now. The age of your friends? Yeah. Like, I mean, I have friends who are in their mid-20s, all figuring their lives out, don't really know anything, but have the rest of the time to figure it out. And then I have friends who are a little bit older than that, maybe 10 years, and their life is starting to harden into what they are and what they're doing. And they're making real commitments and decisions. Mm-hmm. And so I'm able to see that. But um, 
does that make you think more into the future about like what you need to be doing right now? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, people that say that their twenties are, you know, the twenties or thirties, the new 20, that's bullshit. Like your thirties are built in your twenties. Um, twenties are the time where you have the most energy to figure your stuff out. I, I think that everybody should be exploring their minds as much as possible, trying to open up new avenues, mm-hmm. try out everything you possibly can and work. Because if you don't have anything by the time you're 30, it's really hard to start something up. But and a not saying it's impossible. Do, like, a lot of people yeah. do, and you can always restart. But use up your, your second chances now. <laughs> you know, your first chances that you have your second chances later, hopefully. Yeah. You know, I, I think a lot of people get a little complacent in their 20s because they think, oh, I have time, I have time. And then you don't have time one day. And I've been able to see that because mm-hmm. I, you know multi-generational friends yeah. I think you should always have friends older than younger than you I think it's yeah you need a diverse friend group in general yeah that's like one of the reasons also like I started this podcast because it's like everybody has something to teach you like you know like people listening to this can like look at like hear what you're saying like oh okay well like you know like I can resonate with that like I'm not the only person that feels like this sort of way or so. he's a fucking idiot <laughs> <laughs> there's two sides to every coin so. yeah 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 it seems weird to me that so many people have an issue with just like just showing people respect yeah. in a certain sense, you know? Yeah. Well, I don't I, I think it. sometimes people can say can think that like the hard conversations are in and of themselves disrespectful and you have to be a specific you have to have the right approach to make people feel comfortable about it, which is you know, like like one of the conversations I have a lot is with white males who are feeling belittled or accused of basically being a shitty person just because they're white. You know, like, I hate white people. Well, don't hate me because I'm a nice white guy. Well, they're not hating you. Like, you gotta get outside your own head. Mm -hmm. It's not about you. It's about what white people have done. But if that message is coming from a black female to a white man, he's not gonna hear that. But if I say that to him and he's exactly the same tone and words, it's gonna come across different because I... I'm able to approach him in his own space without him feeling challenged. So it's 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 annoying that identity plays so much into how we argue, but it really does. And we need to be able to cultivate these diverse networks in order to reach those identities. The identity politics is kind of taken over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so important. Too. Yeah. That's kind of one of my, I guess, personal missions is to help white males white male better. <laughs> Or worse, I don't know. Like, yeah, that's, 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 a, that's a pretty complicated statement. <laughs> you can edit that one out. <laughs> um, so how do you show people that you care about them? Oh, that's a tough one because I don't like things that most people do. Like, don't touch me. Like, just, I don't like touching. Um, I show people by letting them know that I hear them. Feeling seen, I think, is one of the biggest like things you can do for a person yeah because if you don't feel seen you don't feel like a person yeah so taking time out of your day to really listen and bring back something you learned from their conversation to them later to show you were listening make them feel connected to something i think that's that's the best way to show you care listen follow through (laughs) (laughs) don't do half-assed things yeah that's um one of my favorite quotes it's uh frank lloyd wright i think Mm. where it's like you have to go into something it's uh, i mean i gotta think about this in order to have anything worth having you have to go in wholeheartedly that's basically what it says it's not how it says it but yeah 
Yeah. That's the way I try to approach things. It's tough, though, honestly. Like, it's, it's tough from the perspective of... So, when you get to the moment and you're like, well, how am I going to do this? Am I going to put all my energy into it? And like, what if it doesn't work out? Like, I don't know. It's like, it's the doubt, you know? Yeah. That's tough. And that's that's an anxiety that everybody has. But uh, I think if you're able to become more self-aware of why you have anxiety and where it comes from, you can crush it. Yeah. I mean, I am horribly anxious. I really have always been. That's why I'm such a, I don't know, high-functioning talker. I (laughs) would rather fill the air than let it sit sometimes. But because I'm aware of my anxiety and where it comes from, I just use it as like a fuel. I'm like, ah, oh, I got to get this out now. Well, let's just talk about it then. Mm-hmm. I'd rather be brutally honest and straightforward than trying to figure out what you think later on. Yeah. That's um, a tough thing. It's like being honest with just honesty. Cause I feel like some people think that being honest, like has a certain cruelty to it. Like you have, like there's a way to show honesty with compassion. I absolutely love that. Because everybody's had that friend who says, oh, I'm just being honest. It's like, no, you're not. You're being cruel. (laughs) And you're stating maybe a temporary emotional opinion as fact when, you know, maybe you need to mull that one over for a couple days before you say something like that. Honesty is very tricky. You can't take back what you say. Right. That is is one thing. Right. So let's go into the next question. (laughs) (laughs) Honesty. (laughs) What's the deal breaker in a relationship for you? Dishonesty. Dishonesty? Lack of trust. Uh, If I can't trust you and you can't trust me, there's nothing left. That's true. I've had several relationships where it's like once there's a breach of that trust and it was done knowingly, unless you make an amend and are very honest about why you made the decision and I can see the whole thing through with you I can't get back together with that and uh, I think all my best relationships have gone through that where we had a moment where things didn't work out and we were mad at each other and then coming back back and realizing why you were invested in that relationship to begin with that's those are the relationships that I always cherish the thing that scares me is that with like social media and everything it seems like people aren't going to start are going to stop going back and like trying to like, you know, like fix the issues that they used to have. It kind of seems like you, it's easier to just move through your life and just like have the same story play out, you know? Mm. I don't know. Uh, I, I would actually beg to differ because when you left somebody behind before some social media, you're like, oh, yeah, I haven't talked to them in 25 years. I have no idea what happened to them. But honestly, I kind of know what's going on with most people's lives mm-hmm. that I've touched. You know, like, even if I'm just glancing through their Instagram, like, I know where you are. I know when's a good time to reach out to you if you needed it, and I have the ability to reach out to you whenever I can. So I do think that social media is a perfect time for us to uh, work on how we treat people over the long term. Mm-hmm. I guess for me it's like if you can see all these things that are like happening in this person's life, life <laughs> then what's the point of reaching out to them because you know how they're doing already? Well, um... This is like, I guess, playing devil's advocate. You yeah, know, no, that is a good point. Um, what's the point of having the friendship? You know, I, I, do you want to be in their life or do you want to build something together? I yeah. Mean, if you just want to be present in somebody's life for whatever reason, I feel like that's kind of a dumb reason. Like, sometimes you just don't need to be in people's lives. Do you feel like 
their relationships right now, well, I mean, I guess, I don't know, I don't want to, like, get too into it, but, like, um, where you're just present there and, like, it's not, like, anything is, like, invested or, like, there's anything coming from it and, like, is it worth it? I guess you're kind of saying that it's not worth it just to be present, but, like, are there situations where it's, like, I guess, like, being present works? Yeah. Um, I can see what what you're saying. Uh, With my neighbor is one relationship where I'm, like, I don't really have a choice in that one. Mm. Um, They're kind of artsy people and they have their own issues going on but you know when they want to have a, a social scene or, or basically talk to me to do you know to hang out or provide something I I don't feel necessarily required to do that even though I may have acted in a friendly manner and been polite but I kind of got trapped into being there when I didn't want to be so they had this party and like they're like lonely I guess or? Ah. Yeah, trying to, you know, trying to figure out where their life is going, mm-hmm. you know, like, like everybody else. How old know? are they? In their 40s or 50s, maybe. Okay. It's hard to tell, like, after a certain age. Yeah. But you're just older. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, everyone wants to have a community and build a community, and uh, I have been a part of a lot, and I've helped build certain, some communities in different places, whether it was at the swim team at my local pool or through Boy Scouts or through high school or in college at the frat or whatever. Uh, there's always been an ability for me to build communities, but I find myself getting exhausted of doing that if I try and be a part of every community. Yeah. So I have to start picking and choosing. Mm-hmm. You know, I I have some great friends here. I have some great friends here, but if I spend half the time in either one of them, neither one of them is really going to see me as anything other than a placeholder. Yeah. So, um, I think to be a to be a good community member, you have to be present in the community more often than not. And I'm trying to figure out, you know where that community is right mm-hmm. now. Testing out different ones, I'd say. What kind of different communities right now? Like, I guess your Baltimore friends and, like... Yeah. Uh, new people in Baltimore versus, like, old people from college. Especially, you know... So I was in a frat. View that how you will. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm, like, a less rapey Brett Kavanaugh. It's getting worse and worse, honestly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's getting it's pretty, worse. It's pretty... Oh, it's trash. Uh, I, I hate the idea of frats now. It's really a little bit of a ding on my resume but I do like the fact that I wasn't a frat I think I learned a lot of important experiences and made a lot of good friends but you know as we've aged um, I want to make sure I reach much further outside of that that group because it's easy to get stuck in, in friends that were very easy to have mm-hmm. during a certain time of your life that's an interesting way to look at it yeah. that some friends are just easy to, like some relationships maybe are just easy to have at certain points yeah I mean, especially when you're going through schooling and you're like, oh, wow, like... This is convenient. This is convenient. <laughs> and now I'm, like, in a state where I have to pick and choose where I invest my time and energy. Like, you know, I my best friends, I rarely get to see, and they have to drive an hour to see me. But I enjoy those moments immensely. How do you fill that, like, void of having your best friends, like, live somewhere where, like, you can't really, like, reach them as much? Well, uh... The sick person house helps. Because <laughs> uh, that's the family right there, whether you want it to be or not. Uh, you can try and have it be cold, but let's be honest. If you're living with six people in the same house, you got to have some sort of common bond. Yeah. How many do. bathrooms? <laughs> Just curious. Like, <laughs> Two. Oh, God. Yeah. Wow. No, we're all... Uh, it's, it's, it's not a permanent situation for anybody there, but it is uh, a good growth experience. And we're all very different. So it's a good exercise in understanding differences. We have three guys, three girls, many different races, pretty much cover the spectrum. And uh, 
It's like they the real world of Baltimore. <laughs> it's really funny, actually. It's like a nice little hodgepodge of, of Baltimore, Baltimore's finest uh, ages from 22 to 30. So, you know, I really enjoy it. That should be a TV show or something. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes I think that. Sometimes I'm, I'd rather it be less. But it's all good. I've, uh, in the, what, 11 months I've lived there, I've lived with 10 different people. So. Who's your favorite? <laughs> you don't have to answer that. Janie. Oh, Janie's maybe. my favorite. She's awesome. Um, shout out Janie Parton. <laughs> She's a great artist. Check her out. What kind of art does she do? Uh, sketches. She actually has great raps. Okay. She's a very interesting Korean friend of mine. Cool. I think it's important for people to be able to do do different types of art and not say like that's my best type of art mm-hmm. that's what I want to be known for I just want to do art and be known to do that to do art in general that's tough though because I feel like everybody's always trying to put somebody in a box yeah it, well why are they trying to put them in a box because they're trying to market it to somebody else yeah so, that's what I was thinking about like museums it's like yeah like, so if you're chasing that kind of recognition honestly that's a very subjective track that you don't really have any choice about whether or not people like your shit like it's either gonna get noticed and recognized and appropriated and accepted or it's not but it's still art either way and that's why I I really back to localization if you appreciate art within its own community space you're going to make more money not necessarily you're not going to make the millions and millions but like you can have a functioning life as an artist if you were a big name in a local scene as opposed to somebody that was touring around the world and let's be honest it's more rewarding it's probably more rewarding to have something that's built from the ground up that you really, you know, invest in. I think that grassroots thing is, it's, it's going to become a lot more of a big deal. Um, you, you see a lot of people self-organizing now. Um, collectives are popping up all over the place. You know, with, shit, we got militias in this country. So everybody's trying to form their small little communities. And I think that that's something that is going to become more important as our major institutions have less control over our belief of how humans should be. That's tough, though, with, like, technology and everything. How's it tough? Is because, it easier? Well, I don't know, because it seems like everything is, like, so globalized now. It's like, you know, like, like we're talking about with social media, it's easy to just, like, keep your community, like, well, I mean, like, your community, like, your fingers go further than they used to. Yeah. So. Well, with, you're like, making a point that people can check in and out. Yeah. Pretty easily just because there's so much to do. At the same time, it's easy to rally, you know, people to come to a cause. If yeah, that's to, true. If you're you don't have to do like well on Facebook, telephone yeah. or anything anymore. Yeah, no. <laughs> Although maybe that is the way we should start working on things is is uh, setting up phone lines and actually because so this is an idea my brother and I were talking about the other night um, is like the cult of authenticity. Um, what we really love these authentic things and we're always changing them, chasing them and the, as soon as we find one authentic thing we all group up on it and make it something that's not authentic anymore right damn so <laughs> how do we create like a sense of authenticity without having it spiral out of control which is always going to happen with social media it's just an algorithm things are going to explode if they if they're good uh, and the way to do that is to go lower fi maybe you know have a phone line where one person calls 10 people and mm-hmm. From those ten people, they call ten others, and then they invite, you know, one person each. Yeah, Whatever. but that's like not as beneficial with like capitalism, like marketing no, and everything. No, it's not, of course. But 
has marketing ever done anything good for you? I mean, I got these new shoes. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, if, if you can package it up and give it to you, yay, cool. You've made more money doing it that way. But was the product better or was it just given to you better? I don't know. Yeah. But I think that if we can, uh, the more we make things exclusive and cool, and that makes that's make that makes it easier to build a community. If you make it like, oh, you have to know. Like, you ever been to a bar that said you have to have a certain you have to know a certain code to get in? No. Just try I've it. been to like, um, what do you call it? Speakeasies. Yeah. You just have to like know where it is, but like, yeah. a certain code or anything. I've never been to like yeah. that. Well, it creates a like if, if it's a power trip. Honestly, you walk <laughs> up, you're like, oh, I know the code. Yeah, chartreuse. How do you find those places? Well, that's why you have to look. Like, you have to be a part of the community. True, you have to show true. face. You have to build up your reputation. Yeah. You have to become known. You have to like spend time actually becoming part of the community. Mm-hmm. And I think that with how easy it is to follow and unfollow people, that it's we don't know how to do that as a as a generation. We just it's it's hard to figure out unless you really apply yourself. Well, it seems that there are like you know some people who are able to like foster that like real sense of community and everything, but it, I guess. Like, like you, like, it seems like you're doing that, like, pretty well, at least, like, being cognizant of, like, how to start doing that. Right. But I can't do it on my own. Yeah. And if there's not people that want to participate with me, you know, that, that doesn't work. Yeah. And a lot of my friends, or a lot of the people that I see at these events aren't 24. They're 34. You know, those are the people that are like, oh, I'm down to chill and, and build a community because I don't have these highfalutin ideals of who I'm supposed to be anymore. Like, yeah. I think losing that. I'm wondering how some certain people like get skipped over for like those trades. Like, you know, um, I'm sure like you hear a lot from your older friends, like, Oh, you like seem like someone who's older. Like it seems like you have like a wealth of knowledge, like that's beyond your years. Yeah. So I'm wondering how some people like, what is, what is it like to like actually act a certain age? Like how are we supposed to act? And like, well, uh, some, how some people grow up faster. I, I feel like the rate of like knowledge attainment is is exponential like we know more than our parents did at our age and and the kids that are our age you know they're young now know more than we did at their age just because there's more more information at our fingertips and yeah. so like acting your age really has no bearing anymore we're just ex- accelerating as a society so quickly that the problems that we face are nothing like the problems that our, our parents before us faced and well, actually actually i want to say something about like it's weird that, like, we have, like, this wealth of knowledge and we know so much more, but, like, also, there are certain things that, like, just keep happening. It's, like, you still make the same mistakes right. even though you have, like, all that knowledge. Like, being 24, like, relationships and stuff, you know, like, yeah. there are certain things that continue to happen no matter how much knowledge we have. I think you make a great point because, actually, I, I did overextend myself there by saying, you know, we're, we're dealing with problems they never faced. No, we're dealing with the same problems, but there's a different way that it's taken on. And yeah. There's a... There's a because of like the, how we interact with the world with computer screens and overstimulus, like we have to be dealing with, all, we're multitasking our, our whole time, our whole lives. We're just always multitasking. And that's just not the way that people have operated for a long time. Yeah. So there's like this, I feel like there's, we need a better exchange of knowledge between young and old because there's certain things that my parents don't get, you know, they just don't get Instagram. It just makes no sense. <laughs> <to them. laughs> but, uh, you know, and I, they don't get some of the things I do, but, by, by trading those things back and forth, we've really improved our relationship, especially in the last few years. Um, my parents, you know, worked federal government for 30 years, and then finally they were able to smoke weed with me, which is great. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, we live in a legal state. 
Nevada. They do? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that they Nevada had. Nevada's legal. Okay. That's true. So it's something to be able to share. And, like, you know, it had such a stigma for their generation to be able, like, my mom definitely didn't smoke. Um, so to have her, like, kind of enjoy it casually with me and maybe make her a little more comfortable with something that seems not that way. And I'm becoming a little more comfortable with responsibility and, you know, all those commitments to society that she did. Mm-hmm. You know, she was military, so she thinks of commitment to society as like a a real life thing. Like that's a huge component of your life. What are you doing for people? Yeah. So And I guess that's kind of where your sense comes from. Like a feeling like there needs to be like some communal pot that we're all putting into. Yeah. I mean if you're building for yourself, you're gonna die. (laughs) (laughs) So why? Like you gotta be building it for the good of something. All right, so well, this will lead me into the last question that I have for you. Okay. Um, how do you want to be remembered when you die? Whew. Uh, that's a tough one because, you know, I'd love to have some anonymous answer. It's like, I don't want to be remembered for the thing I was. <laughs> I want to be remembered for the things I left behind. But um, obviously there's probably... We all have an ego. Yeah, we all have an <laughs> ego. And, like, yeah, I want to be remembered by my loved ones as somebody who loved... And cared as much as you could. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I'd like to be known as remembered for something that I left that was better than I found it. Yeah. And I think that to assume any more than that is ostentatious. It's vain. So I just want to leave I mean, We're vain better. creatures. Like, oh, let's we're be very, honest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not trying to say that I'm not. But becoming aware of it and mitigating it is a huge part of my personality and I would just love to be known as maybe something better than it was. So when did you start working on yourself to like handle your vainness, I guess? Is that, is that like the right <laughs> way to ask that question? Uh, well, uh, I wasn't vain for a long time because I was a dork. So that was easy. Started from, <laughs> started from bar on the floor uh, of attractiveness. Uh, so I guess it's kind of I'm figuring I'm still figuring that out. Obviously, um, I don't know I've been hitting hitting some dripping Instagram pictures lately, <laughs> having fun with my little uh, shopping and thrift shops and stuff like that. But I, I think you have to love yourself, and that's an important thing to figure out. And so I'm I'm finding out what I love about myself right now. And for that to happen, I probably do need to be a little bit vain. Oh, definitely. Yeah, <laughs> I mean I'm not gonna yeah, but. I also need to step away and realize that that's not the main goal of my life to become liked, to become whatever. I just need to find out what I like. And mm-hmm. for me to do that, I need to be a little selfish in some moments. Yeah. Okay. Well, that wraps up all the questions that I have for you. Do you have any questions for me? Oh goodness. Um, let me see. Oh, I, I like that question you asked about sexuality. When did you know your sexuality? Um, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's all, that is actually like, you know, I've like written down this because I'm like, oh, this is great. But I never like really sat down and like tried to answer it for myself. But I feel like, I guess just like over time, you like, you like see something and you're like, oh, shit, I'm attracted to that. So I guess it's just like over time, like. Would you define it? Yeah, I think it's just like heterosexual, basically. With, like, you know, like, oh, that girl is, like, really attractive, like, Mm -hmm. you know. So it's, like, they have a scale, I guess. I don't know if you've heard of it. I think it's the Helios. I don't know. It's a seven-point scale. Yeah. So it's, like, I would say that, like, it's, like, 
I find myself like attracted to women sometimes, but mm-hmm. it's not not like a thing that I could like do romantically. Right. So I think that's yeah. just the artist appreciation in anybody. It's like if you can't appreciate the other gender, that's the biggest thing. When is with the with the bi curious thing with males, like if you can't sit there and say another man is pretty without feeling like you're yeah. losing some of your ego you need to fix that it's like you know he's fine like we all know yeah. he's fine <laughs> yeah. and like that doesn't make you any less of who you are and maybe you should try and just look at that situation and say why am I getting mad about this about you know and calling somebody that pretty. is one of the most important questions that I feel like we all need to ask ourselves it's like when we get angry why am I getting mad instead yep. of like yep. you know I think that is like a tip into understanding how to like you know like manage yourself basically absolutely yeah i used to get really really mad <laughs> in college i just flew off the handle and it was never like an abusive thing but i got really stuck in my own emotions and i think by realizing what those my consequences were processing that and taking time to like i had a good mentor thank god that i was able to like kind of vent to and then turn it back and process it so that's how I I mean I'm, I don't get that angry anymore I yeah mean. I was thinking and I was like it's been a while since I've been like just like pissed off like yeah. seriously pissed off I like, mean there's like a border there's like a bottom line anger about society and like I, I, I'm passionate <laughs> I'm passionate but like yeah. anger is never really a useful emotion anyway so yeah know, kick that to the curb any other questions what makes you angry what makes me angry? Um, hmm. About people, I would say when people are inconsistent, that makes me angry. That is one thing I do not like. Um, other than that, it's kind of... What does consistent mean? Like, doing what you say you're going to do when you say you're going to do it. But also, it's like, I guess, present. Mm-hmm. Like, there's like also like a consistency in your presence. Mm-hmm. So. so maybe having like a centered identity? Not, I mean, because I was thinking about that and I was going to say something about like being the same person, but it's like you don't want somebody to be the same person that they are. Yeah. Like you do want them to change right. and grow and stuff, but it's just like, that's why I say presence. Like, mm. like be there how you were there for me. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Plays pretty well in the community thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, show up. So, any other th- questions? Any anything uh, else you can think of? What do you think about the gig economy? The what? The gig economy and side hustles. Do you think oh. that people should all have a side hustle? I don't know. Um, I feel like it's important to have something outside of like professional work. You know, like our forty hours. You know, yeah. you're working for somebody else, and like it's kind of goes so speaking on the community where it's like you need to have something that brings you to the community too like that gives you a sense of community because work doesn't always do that for people Mm. so I think it's important to have something else that you're working on and something else that like outside of work that like you know you're passionate about and that you can give yourself to Mm. so if that you know tends to be a job maybe like that job like the part-time job has more community than the professional job yeah but maybe sometimes it's just a hobby that gives you something else to do mm-hmm. gives you another way to grow but you don't have to commit you just yeah halfway there yeah you're halfway in that economy so that's why i'm like well if if, if, it, if it's a really good side hustle and you enjoy it more in your regular job 
well, why don't you just do that? And that's I always think like the, the, the issue thing. is money. Yeah. Because like how many people would really be working 40 hours a week if they didn't need the money? It's like you may be like working, I guess, on something completely different if you didn't need the money. Yeah. Yeah, but I think a lot of a lot I think a lot of people could do that except it's scary to not potentially know where your checks are coming from. That's true. I I listened to like this podcast where a lot of them are like trying to start their own businesses and like mm. they're saying that like it's really hard to like, you know, step out of your professional role in order to like, you know, put yourself fully into the into something. Right. But yeah, then I don't you end think up happier, I think. I don't think I enjoy work though, so it's like for me, it's like I don't think I would like give up my professional job to do something else because I also enjoy doing that. Mm. But I guess this comes into this question is kind of like, oh well, like it kind of assumes that like maybe your full time job isn't your purpose. Yeah, and, and that's probably I think it's true for a lot of people just because we don't really get a choice when we're when we're making those choices for what our professional job is as college educated people. We it's easy to believe that we have all these choices but we make a major choice when we're 18 and apparently that's our professional job now and the other options are a little scary because it doesn't doesn't feel like it's the thing we're supposed to be doing so it's like you want people to step out more yeah i guess i don't know it's easy to say that as a well-educated rich white male yeah because i don't have you know like i have all the safety nets in the world yeah but um i think that there's nothing sadder than watching somebody sit in the same job they hate for a long time and being really scared to leave it because they don't want the bottom of their lives to fall out. Yeah. And I think we need to do more to create spaces for people to jump. Like, I guess. I guess. Like, I guess. Put a safety net out there, maybe. I don't, yeah, I guess. I mean, I'm, I'm a socialist. <laughs> I don't think we should have a 40 hour work week. I think we should have like, you know, 25 hour work weeks, 30 I'd be down for four days of of work a week, three day a week. Yeah, but then there would be like too many jobs. Like I feel like we just have too much time. Like mm-hmm. we gotta find ways to fill it, and that's why I think need, art yeah. is so necessary. Because yeah, you're totally right. Like if you don't have a purpose, you just spin your wheels, and that's a quick way to go into depression or whatever. Um, but I think we need to, if we have more time to figure out what we want to do with it, like two days on the weekend. What do you do with those two days? Every weekend. <laughs> Friday. Work is done. You yeah. work for 40 hours for five days or more. You want to drink or do whatever. Friday night, you go out. Mm. Plan a date. You wake up. You do Saturday. You're like, oh, you know what? Saturday's my event day. I can see my friends. We made some plans. Cool. Did that. Sunday. Got you ready for the week again. Back into it. It's, I mean, Sunday there's a reason the why this, this system <laughs> exists. Like, it's perfectly made for you to not have any other time except for the time you need to have your head t- together. Yeah. Release, de-stress, back on. Yeah. Three-day work week, though, or four-day work week and three days off, I think it wouldn't change our productivity that much. I think it makes us more efficient. I think it gives us the freedom to actually figure out what we want to do. Because imagine if you could do uh, a weekend job and a day jo- or a week job. Yeah, that would be so easy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you had three days to do a side hustle, four for yeah. your other one. Ugh. You can make less and more at the same time. Less for each one, more together. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. We'll see. Okay, well, I guess we should wrap this up. Um, thank you for coming. Um, how can people reach you if you want to be reached? Uh, I guess all my handles are the same. That's shameful. On uh, Twitter, Instagram, see me outside, boy. 
So are there any projects that you're working on that you want people to know about? Uh, we're just dating right now. We're, we're just dating. I'm figuring it out. Okay. Um, you know, when I get back into it, I'll get back into it. But uh, right now, I'm just really happy to have kind of my feet set in a new city and uh, new friends, new opportunities, and I'm exploring them all. Okay, cool. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so for our listeners, you can follow the podcast at NTMY Podcast on Twitter. And on SoundCloud, it's soundcloud.com slash NTMY Podcast. If you have any questions, comments, suggestions, or just something that you want to share, you can direct those emails to ntmypodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, and have a good day. Woo! <laughs> okay. Bye.